Hello and welcome to Talking Aussie Books, a new weekly podcast shining a spotlight on Australian fiction. My name is Claudine Tonellis. As a writer and avid reader, I love chatting about books. And in this podcast, I'll chat to authors, publishers and readers, giving you, dear listener, insight into what's hot on the Australian fiction scene. So if you're looking for your next book recommendation or just want to know more about Aussie fiction writers, this podcast is for you. Grab yourself a cuppa, sit back and enjoy. For me, this year has been incredible in terms of discovering more talented Aussie authors. I've spoken to quite a number of debut authors, very well-established authors, and many who fall in between. Despite the trying circumstances we've been living in over the last six months, people are turning to books more than ever, a testament to the healing power of stories and their continuing relevance in a world that seems increasingly troubled. And one of the genres people seem to turn to in droves is romance, a so-called evergreen genre characterised by stories of love, hope and happy ever afters which is lucky for my next guest. Queensland-based Amy Andrews is an award-winning USA Today best-selling author who has written over 70 contemporary romances and sold over 3 million books. She has written for both traditional and digital markets and has been translated into more than a dozen different languages. Her stories have all the feels and range from the sassy, comical and quirky to emotionally gritting and sizzling. I recently had the pleasure of reading the first of her Credence Colorado series, a book called Nothing But Trouble, which was a page-turning friends-to-lovers story that definitely had all the feels. A strong and sassy heroine, a handsome but somewhat misguided hero, and a cast full of interesting supporting characters made this a wonderfully entertaining read. I can't believe I've never read one of Amy's books before, but as I said, the joy of this podcast has been uncovering more Aussie authors and showcasing their work. And so it gives me very great pleasure to welcome Amy to the podcast today. Hi, Amy. Hi, Claudine. How are you going? Thank you for having me. My absolute pleasure. Amy, I read somewhere recently that you've just typed the end on your 80th novel and that you've written 63 novels in the last 12 years. That's a phenomenal achievement. Absolutely incredible. When you look back at it like that, it does uh, seem like quite a lot of <laughs> quite a lot of books you have written. Yes, I just typed the end on book 80, so that's gone off to my editor. So uh, I've been writing since two. Oh, I've been published since 2004. I've been writing for longer than that. So I've you know been doing it for a while as well. Average is about I think four or five books a year, and that's about you know what a lot of romance writers are writing, you know, on average. So when you look at the numbers this way, are you surprised or ever worried that you'll run out of ideas? No, not really. It never really worries me. There's always just ideas going on in my head. I always say I have like this, I have these ideas in like, you know, holding pattern, you know, like have planes go in holding patterns if they're, you know, the airport is clogged up and you're not allowed to land. (laughs) I feel like they've got these ideas just circling in my head until the sort of controller up there gives them permission to come in to land and then it's sort of their turn, that, that plot, you know, turn to, to have a go on the page. So far, no, I've, um, I've not run out of ideas and I've already got the next sort of four or five plots bubbling away in my head. So fingers crossed that doesn't happen. <laughs> Laura, Roberts, <laughs> Laura Roberts has written a couple of hundred books, so I don't think she's run out of ideas yet. So I, I hope they'll be okay. Amy, how long does it take to complete a novel from start to finish, would you say? Depends on what I'm writing so I write both category romance which is sort of 50 to 60,000 words and they're the kind of Mills and Boone style books 
and they usually take about four to six weeks and then there might be some editing that goes in the back and forth. So maybe from the time I start to the time the book gets to go ahead, it might be three months, but the writing will actually take about a month to six weeks. And then books like Nothing But Trouble, which are about 90,000 words, they usually take me about three-ish months to write, three to four months to write, uh, depending on, I've written some slightly longer at 100 odd K and then some slightly you know, shorter at 80 K. So it does depend very much on the word count. I try to write about when I'm writing two to 3,000 words a day. So if I do that consistently, can you know, you can get through a book reasonably quickly. For an aspiring writer like me to hear those kinds of numbers is really ins- inspiring <laughs> and daunting in equal measures. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's my job. I don't, this is what, you know, I have contracts to, to fulfil and, and I just have to sit my bottom in the chair every day and write, otherwise... No words get written. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I completely see where you're coming from. So do you work on novels simultaneously or only one project at a time? Well, it's funny you should ask that because <laughs> I have been working on book 79 and book 80 simultaneously. Uh, and I have done it in the past. I don't, I don't really like to. Uh, I like to finish one project and then go on to the next because, as I was saying before, there's always plots bubbling up, you know, going on in my head anyway. Um, so I prefer not to, but yes, I have done that. And uh, I, I'm assuming that I will continue to do that on and off throughout, you know, the rest of my career. Uh, it's not my preferred <laughs> way to write though. Let's talk about Nothing But Trouble, which as I said in my introduction, was a highly entertaining read. And now this was published last year. So I wanted to ask you, what inspired you to begin this series? Well, that was very easy. My editor came to me, uh, my editor at, at Entangled Publishing, um, which is a US based company, came to me um, and said um, that she wanted to do, you know, wanted me to do a series for them. And she had this idea about this little rural town that had run out of women, essentially, and they launched a Facebook campaign to, you know, attract women to the community. And she wanted me to try and, because I had already written a series of uh, rugby players, Australian rugby players, she wanted to try and uh, work in the sports angle, which is why the hero ended up being a sports ex, you know, uh, quarterback. Uh, so try to get some crossover from my Sydney Smoke readers into the new series as well. Uh, we actually work quite closely, my editor and I, on a lot of the, the plots. She has lots of great ideas and we usually like bash out a synopsis together and go back and forth with it. So that's sort of how that particular idea came along. I'm a like, very creative editor who, is, who always proposes those sort of questions. What would happen if? <laughs> the same kind of questions that all writers sort of, you know, pose themselves what would happen if you know I did this or they did that or and book uh, two and three are very similar as well we work very closely on those plots and I'm about three quarters away through the fourth book at the moment okay so for those who haven't read nothing but trouble yet can you tell me a little bit more about the story I I know you just touched on a little one of the aspects of the story but yeah could you tell us a little bit more about it well I I thought it was really interesting because you know, I think that sort of theme is quite universal about, um, it is set in America, obviously, and there are American characters, but the theme of um, rural towns running down and, and shutting down because uh, all the young people leave. 
uh, go off to university and study and they get jobs outside of the community and they don't go back to their little hometowns. And so the towns die. And I, I felt like there's lots of rural communities in Australia who also face that kind of conundrum uh, a lot of the time. So I felt like it was quite an easy thing for me to write. So they had that sort of overarching theme of um, a dying, a small dying country town who was you know, trying to um, reinvigorate itself, bring in new blood, um, start new businesses, get back to be thriving again. Uh, so schools didn't have to close and more people didn't have to leave and it becomes that kind of vicious cycle. There was sort of that aspect. And then there was the romance plot going on with the um, hero and heroine. He's an ex-quarterback, as I was saying. He's very, very rich. He's made a lot of money during his career and he's invested it wisely. And he's had this very long-suffering PA for the last five years who has her own goals and made a promise to herself that once she's earned a certain amount of money and he pays her very well, she would be off doing her own thing, which was to go and live in California by the beach. And she's sort of finally there and she's told him that she's she's leaving and she has to, <laughs> he does put her through the mill quite a bit. He She often has to like buy flowers for, you know, ex-girlfriends and, and um, take tearful phone calls from women who, you know, he sort of went on two dates with and then decided he didn't want to see them anymore. So she's a little over it. And uh, she announces she's leaving at the beginning of the book and suddenly Wade is very much at a loss of what he's going to do without her because she's just been, you know, he's, as he said, he's a left tackle the entire time <laughs> they've been together. Uh, and then his father has a problem with his heart and he has to have um, some surgery done. And Wade is also in the middle of writing his, or supposed to be in the middle of writing his memoir. He got a big contract from a publishing company. And so he decides he's going to go back to, to Koreans, back to his hometown and write his memoir there and help out on the farm, help his brother and his father out on the farm so his father can stay rested up and do it there away from like women always wanting to date him and because he's got no self-control and he can't just say <laughs> <you> no. <know. laughs> um, and then the town comes up with this harebrained scheme of bringing in single women uh, to the town to try and attract them to stay and um, live and, you know, open businesses. And suddenly all he can see is like more single women everywhere. And he does his <laughs> level best to try and sort of persuade the town that's not what they want to do. But um, his mother and the town and his PA certainly have other ideas. And um, so he's just kind of, hanging on and going along for the ride. And there's a little, nice little side romance too with his brother on the farm. He gets a little secondary romance going on as well. So I think there's a lot going on in it. I understand that you travelled to Colorado for this story. So can you perhaps tell us what kind of research you had to do to bring this story to the page? 2018, I think it was, I travelled to Colorado, to Denver, where the Romance Writers of America conference was being held that year. And my editor, who we just spoke about before, happens to also live in Denver. I actually stayed with her for a week. And most people who set books in Colorado usually set books in the pretty rocky, snowy mountains where everything is lovely and, you know, picturesque and, you know, lots of people with lots of money and um, little tiny, quaint villages and towns where... Um, cute little you know shops and little 
chocolate places are and I all I could see was this sort of in my head was this little town that was just literally dying and I wanted it to be really rural so I said to my editor can you take me out to eastern Colorado and she's like what do you want to go to eastern Colorado for nobody goes to eastern Colorado <laughs> and because uh, I knew it was only like a few hours drive away I knew it wasn't like a huge ask I guess somebody from Australia doesn't feel like it's a huge ask mm. I said yeah no I don't want to set it in mountains I want to set you know this story in like literally just nowhere in where nobody really ever goes to visit or there's no tourism around and so we took a road trip out one day um, stopped at a diner along the way so I was able to get that real small country <laughs> diner experience and yeah it's really flat out there and there's just you know miles of nothing just kind of grassland and um sort of quite yellowed grass from under the sun and, and there's a few little towns along the way and I got a real sense of took lots of pictures and I got a real sense of what it's like out there, the, the vastness and the, the loneliness, but also that, you know, the sense of community that you get in small towns as well. It's really hard when you don't live in a place. You can write about it because, you know, we have the internet these days, of course. So mm. you can look up anything and look at any town. You can go to Google Earth and you can look at maps and you can like, you know, go right down and look at pictures of places. And But there's something about, having lived in a place or been in a place that, you know, sort of sinks into your, I know, your paws or your soul or your whatever that enables you to be able to, you know, really accurately depict that. I know I, I've lived um, many years ago in the UK for a couple of years and I feel much more comfortable setting books in the United Kingdom because it's, I feel like it's quite natural to me. I know what it's like to live there. I know what the people are like. So I feel much more comfortable doing that whereas setting books in America I feel less comfortable doing because although I've visited there I've not really ever spent like long periods of time there so um, being able to go and actually visit places that you're writing about just is so much so much better than you know reading about it or looking at pictures on the internet uh, it's really gold there's nothing that you can do to replace it apart from you know actually going there and living there yourself so yeah fantastic I loved Cece. Now, she's the PA in your book, Cecilia, yes. or Cece was her name, the heroine. Yeah. She's definitely someone who knows her own mind. How difficult do you think it is to continue to craft compelling female characters that aren't stereotypical? And do you think your readers' expectations of the female protagonist has changed in the time that you've been writing? I think that romance in particular is a genre that really moves with the times. When I first started reading romance when I was 12, there was lots of kind of boss secretary kind of things happening and gender roles were quite different. And I feel like that was reflected in romance. And I feel like, all you know, throughout the years I've been reading romance that that's changed. Heroines have changed. They've got different jobs now. Um, they've become more of their own people. The focus has switched around to not like needing a partner in their life, but that it enhances rather than, you know, it's, it's something that's nice to have rather than something that you have to have. I don't know that that's necessarily changed in the time that I've been writing because it's been relatively short, you know, compared to the evolution of romance, for example. But um, I feel that romance is quite reflective of that and therefore heroines are quite reflective of that now. I feel like we have way more kind of kick-ass, as they say in America, you know, heroines are around now 
Yes, I tend to write kick-ass heroines, really. I think writing any character, not just heroines, is about being able to make them three-dimensional. That's that's the trick. If you can't make them fully rounded, like they can't always be perfect or they can't always be all bad or they can't always be, you know, all good or people people are multidimensional and so your characters have to be multidimensional as well and that goes for for heroines as well. I think that's just how I do it and lots of writers do it is you try to give your characters you know nuance and um and flaws and um traits that make them individuals you know rather than this two-dimensional sort of cardboard cut out character tell me about your journey to publication and how did a woman who lives in a sleepy seaside town in queensland come to be writing books that are sold right around the world well <laughs> it's a long and <laughs> winding road to publication let me tell you I wrote my first book when I was 22 and I was living as mentioned before I was living in the UK I was living in the UK then and it was my first English winter and I was (laughs) it was hadn't got up above um, zero degrees all week and I was temporarily out of work and I thought what can I do that involves me not getting off my electric blanket um (laughs) And I thought, oh, I'll write that book. That's in my head. And really up until that point, I don't think I'd really realised that there was a book in my head. It was quite bizarre when I think about it now. But I just thought, yeah, yeah, that's what I'll do. So I sat down and I wrote that book. I wrote 5,000 words a day for 10 days. I wrote that book in 10 days, longhand. This is back in the days before anybody had, <laughs> you know, PCs on, on their desktop. Uh, and I sent it off to to Mills and Burner was always, it never occurred to me not, I always wanted to write romance, I I always knew it would be a romance and that I was, you would be, um, I would send it to Mills and Burner, I had always read Mills, I read lots of things but I'd always been a big fan of Mills and Burner and I just knew that if I was going to get a book published at all that it would be stupid not to send it to the world's largest publisher of romance (laughs) and also at the time that was really, you know, your only option, it's not like it is today where there's, you know, all kinds of other options like digital options, self-publishing, mm. that sort of thing. So I sent it off and it got reject- rejected about nine months later. And I always say that, that was the moment that I actually became a writer and I became determined to become a writer. Um, I sort of say that um, rejection made me bloody minded. I just thought, oh, all right, okay, all right. Well, <laughs> I'll show you. I'll show you that I can write a book and you will buy it if it kills me. So 12 years later, I got my my first book accepted by them. And that was probably my fourth full manuscript, I suppose, because, of course, I had, you know, a career and kids and all that time as well. So I wasn't very prolific in those 12 years. When I got home to Australia, I decided, okay, I obviously don't know everything there is to know about writing a book. I'm obviously not going to write a book and it's going to sell and they're going to make a movie out of it. I'm going to make millions of dollars. So what can I do? Where there must be some place that can help me with with this. So I went looking, went to the Queensland Writer Centre, and I asked, was there any romance writing support uh, groups around? I found one in Brisbane because we were living in Brisbane at the time, and I went to that, and through that I found Romance Writers Australia, and then I read lots of how-to books, and I went to lots of conferences and lots of workshops, and I essentially what I call I did my apprenticeship over 12 years. I you know learned the craft 
of writing. Fast forward 12 years and I got my first contract with Harlequin that was in 2004. Now, you know, Harlequin goes all over the world and very soon I had, you know, books. My very first ever translation was, was an Icelandic one of all places. My very first <laughs> book was Icelandic. So um, I was being translated all over the world and that was, you know, wonderful. It's been wonderful working with Harlequin. I think I've written 43 or something like that, um, Harlequin, Mills and Boone Medical Romances, plus some other romance as well because I've, I've got some, a nursing background uh, plus I've written for a couple of their other lines as well so 2011 when indie publishing was really kicking off and things were really happening and the whole publishing industry was changing I started to branch out a bit because I wanted to write uh, not necessarily different stuff but I wanted to write the stuff I was writing differently without such sort of tight strictures I suppose on what I could and couldn't say and what I could and couldn't do within the confines of, of a book. And I found, you know, I found Entangled Publishing, which is who Nothing But Trouble was published through. And I found other publishers that I uh, wrote books for. So I kind of decided that I was really going to try and diversify, not put all my eggs in one basket, try to maximise my income streams, I suppose. Mm. Now I write for three publishers pretty consistently. So, uh, and yeah and 80 books so incredible really incredible so on that note I guess a lot of people who listen to this podcast might be interested to know whether or not you're a plotter or a pantser I am a little bit of both I'm sorry not to be more definitive on one or the other but um I think I used to be more of a plotter when I was more of a newbie writer I certainly sort of had character sheets that I used to fill out and and that sort of thing and I and particularly when I was writing medical romance it was often a difficult line for me to work out what degree of medical as opposed to what degree of romance within a book so those sort of things took me a while just to get a real feel for but what I mostly do now is for example if I'm working with with Liz from Entangled and we have this you know she's a huge she loves the synopsis whereas I would rather write in a whole entire book than write a synopsis so. <laughs> So, I think you're not alone there. <laughs> yeah, so I, um, so working to that, you know, she's happy to write the synopsis that we've been talking about and so I have that to work off. But I, I don't usually do that myself. I usually have an idea. Like I said, it's normally been percolating in my head so at least I know how to start it. And what I've found, what I've found really good is Pinterest, actually. I use Pinterest now for it's not really plotting but I'm able to do a board I do a board up for every book so I can put you know character inspirations there and I can put setting inspirations there and I can really have it there as a visual guide for me which also helps me kind of crystallize in my mind as well um, what the book's about so I often will refer to it while I'm writing as well and Kate just to get back to you know the basics if I kind of wander off piece a little bit which can happen from time to time I don't full-on pants but I I do a little bit of visual plotting I suppose I've never had to like dump half a book because I've gone oh well that's really gone wrong now I have to start again you know I think that even the thought of that makes me feel so physically Mm -hmm. ill I want to vomit just thinking about it now so I kind of fall in the middle of the road Uh, i not that I know people who plot who will write 20,000 words just plotting and that also makes me wonder what thinking about that. (laughs) (laughs) You look, everybody's process is their process. I totally understand that. But um, I like to have a little bit of control. I think it's good to have some idea in your head because sometimes you can get a bit lost. 
and to actually go back and to whatever, like to your Pinterest page or to your notes that you've made. You go, oh, that's what I was supposed to be doing. That's mm -hmm. right. Um, that can really help. So, yeah, I'm a bit of a middle of the road person. It's actually more common than you think. A lot of people I've so. interviewed say they kind of are a hybrid rather than falling yeah. directly in one camp or the other. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, well, I think almost, well, you know, anything in life, most people kind of tend to fall in the middle, don't they? Thank goodness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So what does your typical day look like? You just told me that you write anywhere between two and 3,000 words a day. So how does that come about? What I wish would happen, how I wish it would go, <laughs> is that I would start at nine and I'd write to about five and hey, so there'd be two or 3,000 words written. Um, so I would quite go like that. I find the internet quite distracting and I'm very bad with impulse control over that. So I do try not to, I try, when I get on in the morning, I try to do all my emails, all my social media, that sort of stuff before I've started. And I do try to be writing by 10. I used to be a really fast writer and I used to write a lot of words a day. I used to write about 5,000 words a day, uh, five to six. And I used to be quite fast. I'm actually getting slower <laughs> as I get older and the thought of having to write 5,000 words a day also makes me want to vomit. Now, if I have to sit down and write 5,000 words, I spend all day thinking, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm going to write 5,000 words, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I write 800 words instead because I spend all day thinking, oh, my God, how am I going to do that? If I'm working on two books at once, I tend to try to do, like, 1,000 or 1,500 words on one and then 1,500 words on the other in the afternoons so with the morning afternoons so split with them. I think consistency really is key when I'm writing I try to you know I sit down every day and I often write on the weekend and as I'm getting towards the end of deadline like last week when I finished book 80 I think I wrote in those two days I think I wrote 11,000 words oh, and I was just exhausted by the end of it all because I was and then I had to edit for two nights up till midnight. <laughs> now Amy I understand that you also teach tell me about that and how on earth do you fit those commitments with the kind of publishing schedule that you have? Uh, I don't tend to do a lot of them though I have done the odd one and I've done them at conferences but I do feel because I don't have a teaching background so I feel like a bit of a fraud when I'm teaching anything because yes I do have experience obviously I am a bit plagued with insecurity where that goes uh, so I do try to sort of stick with basic things like romance 101 stuff that I know really really well I'd much rather um, sit down with somebody in their manuscript and you know, do a one-on-one -on -one critique with them. That's like much more my comfort zone. And I have done manuscript critique in the past, which I really, really enjoy. But I'd much rather just sit in a room and have people ask me questions and talk about writing yeah. than teaching. You know, a lot of that stuff I feel like I don't even have. I remember I'd been writing for like 10 years and somebody said that the GMC was all wrong. And I was like, oh. what's GMC? And they were like, <laughs> all motivation conflict. conflict. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> I feel like I see a lot of these things. I think, oh, I'm doing it all wrong. People are teaching all these things and I don't do it like that. And I'm doing it all wrong. What am I doing? And then I have this terrible kind of horrible moments of self-doubt where I'm like, oh, I should do it like that. Yeah, I'm a bit of a insecure mess when it comes to that sort of thing. <laughs> I would say that you're a more intuitive writer. Okay, that sounds way better. I'm an intuitive writer. <laughs> but one of my favourite authors is Jennifer Carisi and... Um, she does, you know, she's incredible. If you, she has this blog that she's really good at and she runs every day. She's got a massive fan base there and she talks about her process and it's so intricate and involved and, and just, and I look at it and I think, oh, oh, oh my God. <laughs> I, 
what am I doing wrong? I'm not doing any of this. So He's clearly not doing anything wrong. <laughs> writing is terribly, can be terribly insecure thing to be involved in. You have to have quite a robust ego. And I actually really do. Like I'm quite robust where lots of things are concerned to do with, to do with writing. But um, there's always doubt demons and there's always, you know, every single book, you know, I've, out of my 80 books, I've probably had a, quite a few rejected. So every single book, there's always that moment of, maybe this would be the one that'll, you know, totally bomb or won't be accepted or my editor will hate or, you know, of course you never think maybe this will be the one that'll make me $6 million and get me a movie deal. <laughs> you know, it's always, it's always easy to think the bad things and then yeah. the good things. So your blurb about what's being a nurse is that you know things, anatomical things, and you're not afraid to use them, mm-hmm. which brings me to the topic of writing love or sex scenes for your books. Now, as mm. a writer, I find this is something that people in the community have different views about. What is the right heat level for a story? How do you decide mm. this? And given the genre that you write in, do you feel as if there's an expectation for you to be writing at a certain level of explicitness? Or is this more about the way the characters speak to you within a certain story romance runs across the whole you know spectrum of heat from uh sweet which they're now calling clean which i don't like that that terminology at all because it makes it sound like therefore sex is dirty which Mm. is just bizarre so from sweet romance where everything is quite closed door and you don't see beyond that right through to rip the door off the hinges you know and burn on a bonfire kind of stuff and i tend to write at that end of ripping the door off the hinges i think if you're a person who's new to romance and you're picking up say me, for example, for the first time, um, if you if you don't mind hot stuff and you don't mind people who are going to use some bad language, some foul language, mm-hmm. then that's not going to shock you. But if you're somebody who's not into that, that will, you know, really turn you off. So I think if you're a romance reader and have been around long enough, you soon work out which writers write to your taste, you know, on the sweeter end or on the, or on the sort of more hot end. And I think for me certain lines if you're running for a certain line will dictate that like for for example harlequin have have a sweet line so obviously that dictates you know the, the level and of heat in that line the particular plot might dictate the level of heat like a lot of historical romances might not you know have a lot of really hot sexist although a lot of them do as well but to me i write contemporary characters and whatever anybody thinks morally about whether, you know, people who love each other should or shouldn't have sex before they're married or they should get married or they shouldn't or whatever. People, the fact of the matter is people do. And I think sex is a natural, normal part of any evolving relationship. And I want to explore that in in my books and in my characters. And I want to read books where that's explored as well. You can have books have a great, great, great sexual tension, just amazing sexual tension that's so good that you don't even necessarily need that payoff, you know, because it's just so good. I mean, I like to have that payoff when I read. I like to give my readers that payoff when, when I, uh, when I write it. Um, But it doesn't necessarily have to be so, but I feel like my contemporary characters anyway, dictate the fact, you know, that they're, that they're going to be having sex and lots of it. I think, you know, in all relate, all new relationships, people tend to have, you know, a lot of sex and a lot of really good sex particularly right there at the beginning so i want to explore that i want to i want to write about it i want to read about it i want to i want to go inside the bedroom always i've been the person who always looks for relationships in 
any book that I read that's not romance, obviously you're going to get that in romance, any television series, any movie, I, I'm always interested in, in finding out where the romance relationship is in the plot. I remember even as a little kid watching Star Wars and I didn't care about the Death Star or about <laughs> who his father was or about, you know, those swords that go through the air, his name is me now. All I was just about Han and Leia, even then as like an eight-year-old. Yeah. I could suss out that that was, you know, what was going on. To me, contemporary romance with the kind of characters I write, I think it goes hand in hand. I don't have a problem with writing sex scenes. I think I'm, I'm quite good at it. I'm not embarrassed by it. I feel like people, you know, people have sex and it's just, you know, a natural part of things. So the way I say in any of the workshops that I give is that sex scenes aren't physical scenes, they're emotional scenes. Yeah. Getting naked with somebody is you know, a moment of great vulnerability for characters. And that's a way, it gives you a way to um, explore those characters, you know, even deeper. And, so it's, and it's not about which bits are going into what, what, at what at what time, although of course that's part of it. It's about how that makes a person feel and how after this has their relationship changed. Mm. Sex scenes are emotional scenes. They are not physical scenes. You have to care about the characters that are having. If you don't, they could be having the most amazing headbanging sex, hanging from chandeliers, doing all wonderful things. But if you don't care about them, then who cares? It's just, you know, it, the, the actual physical aspect doesn't mean anything if you don't make your readers, you know, actually, if you don't invest them in your characters. They don't have to like them necessarily even, but they have to be invested in them. Not to belabor the point, but you were talking about the sort of different heat levels. You've got the behind closed doors, sweet romance, and then you've got the, you know, the you know, rip the door off the hinges type of, of love story. So mm. the interesting thing about Nothing But Trouble was that there was both. We had the main character, the main love story, and then we had a little interesting, you know, subplot there with Wade's brother and uh, a girl that came to town as part of that, you know, attracting women to the small town. It was mm. an interesting contrast for me, and I'm guessing this was deliberate on your part. I actually did write a full sex scene for Wyatt and Jenny, for the, for the brother, as part of that story. And then my editor said, actually, I feel like this is a bit voyeuristic. I feel like it's not, they're not the main, you know, they're not the main story. And actually, you know, having this full sex scene just feels a little off. It doesn't feel right. It feels like we're just, you know, it's not about them changing it. Like I was saying before, how, you know, sex should change relationships and up the stakes and you know we're not getting that in this relationship with Wyatt and Jenny so I actually took out the, the full scene on that and I just we just faded to black you know on that scene where they're, they're up in the loft in the haystack so that kind of gets faded to black so that was a decision that was made after it had been written I have a um, readers like a private readers group on Facebook and I've just just last week released that scene to, for them to read the whole scene so ah. they've they've got the whole juicy um because <laughs> yeah because uh white is um a virgin too so that's why i wanted to write that scene really i want it was my first ever male virgin that i'd written so i kind of wanted to write that scene just from you know that kind of interesting perspective itself and it didn't make the cut you mentioned that you're a member of romance writers of australia as am i so yes. i wanted to ask how important is a writing tribe to you as a writer it's like you know oxygen <laughs> it's so important it's i would not be published without romance writers of australia absolutely they're the first people that i found 
in the first instance, the things that I learned that you can learn craft-wise from a, you know, finding your peers, finding your support group, finding those people that are writing the same thing as you. Things you can learn about craft and about the business is, you know, I don't think you can even calculate that. It's just incredible. And then there's the conferences that you go to, which is one just big one, you know, sort of weekend or three or four days of all getting together and just learning stuff. And you come away so, you know, hyped up and amped up. But it's also the day-to-day support that you get from your writing buddies. You know, there's certain groups that I belong to where you can chat with writing friends about different, you know, different aspects of the business. Because writing is such a solitary, you know, (laughs) such a solitary thing. You're Mm. literally sitting at home alone all day on your computer. You know, I don't go into an office every day and get that support like people who work, you know, at Mm. normal jobs uh, do. So uh, you have to rely on the online community of your writer friends to do that for you. And it's just, you know, it's, but it'll be very, very lonely um, thing to do without that kind of support. And happy people actually did it before, before the internet. I have like no idea. Yeah. It just yeah. boggles my brain. As we mentioned before, there are many writers who listen to this podcast. Now, given your incredible publishing record, what do you think would be your top three pieces of advice for anyone out there looking to get published? Oh, this is one of my favourite subjects. Okay, so <laughs> first thing I would say, and I know people would roll their eyes at this, but it is so true. You have to read to be a writer. You just have to, whatever genre you want to write in you have to read in I say read every single thing you can every single thing you can that's been released you know in the last one or two years don't read something from five or ten years ago because I mean of course read it if you want to for enjoyment but if you want to read it for just pure analysis alone always try to keep up to date with all the latest uh, releases that you know that's kind of way you just learn from osmosis uh, about the um, the genre expectations uh, and, you know, that you work out kind of where you fit by reading. And it's, you know, it's it's good for your brain to do that as well. It's good just to always, always keep up to date with what's going on in the business, what's being printed, what's being published, what's working, what's popular, what's not. Yeah, I guess, you know, join a writer's organisation, you know, find other people like you out there in the world mm-hmm. there are other people out it's tempting to you know it's tempting to think well there's nobody else but there are people out there so fun so join rwa or join you know whatever you're writing in find those people and then i would say go to a writing conference whatever you know whether it be romance Writers australia or go to a face-to-face place there are amazing things you'll learn a lot just in a short period of time they're actually, you're able to, usually they'll have editors and agents at conferences like that where you can pitch manuscripts to and you can develop a network of contacts and of friends that are invaluable, can be invaluable, you know, for, for, you know, for the rest of your career. I love like talking to neurons, like if you're going to get, I always get a manuscript assessment is a really good thing that you can do, but be very careful who you give your manuscript to. Don't give your erotic romance manuscript to a literary fiction place that only does those kind of uh, manuscripts. You need to make sure whoever you give your manuscript to knows the genre you're writing in, knows the conventions of that genre, reads in that genre a lot. You know, unless you've got a really, really thick skin, they have no idea what they're talking about in relation to your particular genre. They can give you really, really bad information and set you off on the wrong track and they can cost you a lot of money by doing it as well. So always check who you're sending your 
your stuff to make sure they know what they're doing look around ask other people if they've been there you know if they've had the same experience with a particular person so amy what's next what's your next release i've doing a crossover between my sydney smoke uh, series and the credence colorado series and it's called playing with trouble it's coming out in mid-october and then i've got a book called All's Fair in Love and Chocolate. It's coming out uh, in mid-November, I think. And then, of course, I'm actually re-releasing a bunch of my old medical romances that I've got the rights returned to. Uh, they're just on Amazon, um, just through KU. So uh, one of those is coming out next week. So I'm, like, re-editing, recovering, retitling. Pretty busy. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. Absolutely brilliant. Amy, if listeners wanted to find out more about you and your books where could they do that uh they can go to my website which is www.amyandrews.com.au don't forget the .au <laughs> oh, actually if you just google me i come up as first in the rankings anyway but also um look i interact every day on my facebook page so if you, if you go search for amy andrews author on facebook you'll find me um always i'm there you know most of the day and that's where you can find out most of my updates you can join my my newsletter and i'm also on instagram which I love the best. It's my favourite social media platform. So I'm also on Twitter as Amy Andrews Books. You can hit me up there as well. I'm kind of all over. I'm everywhere, really. (laughs) You name it, I'm there. That's brilliant. It's been such a pleasure chatting to you today. I wish you every success with all of your books and every endeavour. Thank you so much for joining me on Talking Aussie Books. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, wonderful. It was really, really nice to talk to you. Well, that's a wrap, folks. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or drop me a line via my Instagram at Claudine Tinellis or on my webpage, claudinetinellis.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, happy reading.